United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and I'm so excited about our Power Pack show we have this week. It is all women, and it is all women making a massive difference in the sport we love. Check out this lineup, folks. We kick off with Nikki Washington, who has now become just the second woman of color to be an assistant coach in the thriving NWSL, as she's now with the Utah Royals. Nikki Washington won three national championships at North Carolina. She played pro. She was in the U.S. soccer system, of course. And now she is an assistant trying to make a difference. And she opens up about racism and living in her own skin. I found her to be fascinating. And I really think if you dive deep into her answers and her conversation you will indeed be moved. Following her, how about Jill Ellis? Yeah, that's right. Jill Ellis is on the program. Your back-to-back head coach of the U.S. World Cup championship team. She now has a scholarship courtesy of U.S. soccer and a mentorship program propping up women in coaching. Are you kidding me? Jill Ellis breaks it down. Up after her, The final part of our five-part series with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. Julio Serrano has loaded up big-time guests. No different for our last guest, also a wonderful woman, Eloisa Borjallejo. And I apologize for not saying that name 100% correctly. She was born in Madrid, wanted to learn English, came over to the States, was in New York, college in Chicago where she played, decided to stay. Now she's out in San Diego coaching the San Diego WPSL team, coaching with a major club, and she is all in with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, Eloisa. Great interview. And then we wrap up with Penn State's Erica Dombach and Rocky Rodriguez. Of course, Erica Dombach with Penn State won the national championship in 2015. They were led by Rocky Rodriguez, the best player on the field, the best player in the country. She's now playing for Portland, which just won the NWSL Fall Series. And they're also on the show. What a great show. What wonderful women. Wonderful women coaches, wonderful women in the game. And we start after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast where we have a power pack show, a female power pack show as we kick it off with Nikki Washington 
the former star for the University of North Carolina Tar Heels, where she won three national championships, almost won four. She's played professionally. She's been coaching with Leslie Gallimore, a friend of United Soccer Coaches, and Amy Griffin, another friend of United Soccer Coaches. She's now with the Utah Royals, becoming just the second ever black coach in the NWSL, following the great footsteps of Brianna Scurry. And it is indeed an honor to be with Nikki Washington. I actually called her games when she was at UNC. Nikki, look, one's better than none, but we got to keep on going. Thanks so much for joining us on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. I'm super honored to be here and and impacting, hopefully, uh, a lot of people and opening up doors. But yes, we would absolutely like to to have more, more Brianna's and and more Nikki's, I guess, but yeah. better. <laughs> but either way, with just one, that's not enough. There's got to be more, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome to to draw attention to the lack thereof and try to not just try, but to proactively create a system where there's more. Every week on this show, behind the great work from Nicole Hercules, who is the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group with United Soccer Coaches, we've continued to fight for opportunity, equality, respect, and love. When you hear those words, what does it mean right now, particularly in what is definitely a divisive country? I mean, I think to be a black coach in America right now is very representative of what it means to be black in America. I think you are constantly facing a lot of different barriers. Uh, And obviously I was at the University of Washington prior to this with Leslie Gallimore, United soccer coach, great. So yeah, even in that experience, there's very few of us black coaches and specifically black female coaches, a lot of intersectionality there. But yeah, of course, who doesn't want respect and love? (laughs) Well, Nikki, I want to know you just as a young woman, a young black woman, and then a young black athlete, and now a young black coach. So tell us your story, where you grew up, how big a family you had, maybe some stories where you actually encountered some racism, which we never want to hear about, but we need to learn from and how you ended up in North Carolina and your experience there. I'll try to not talk for 32 years because that's how long (laughs) this is covering. But so starting with my family, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I have one older brother that I grew up with, Brandon, and then I have an older, older brother and sister. But I wanted to do everything Brandon did. He played soccer, so I played soccer. He was into karate, so kia. And then that just led me from one thing to the next. I played on his teams. It's kind of your typical, you know, girl playing with boys. And then I was able to be successful from there. I was playing up a lot. And then long story short, Anson ran into me. And then I landed at UNC. And I had an absolute blast there. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. And then obviously I went through the ranks as a pro. And then eventually I decided, for me personally, at that point, the cons were outweighing the the pros quite literally. So I decided to switch over to coaching, which I always knew I wanted to get into that profession post-playing. So I actually went to TCU and got my master's there and was a grad assistant. And then landed stars aligning with Leslie Gallimore and Amy Griffin at UW. And we had a blast of four years there. And then I had a baby. And now I'm here at Utah Royals. That's kind of my my story. But I think the common 
thread through all of it is being one of a few at best. So yeah, I mean, in terms of racism, of course, I've encountered my blatant, but to me, it's not those things that are the most damaging. Obviously, those are very hurtful, but in terms of long-lasting impact, it's the little things. It's the (laughs) being, I guess, unfairly compared in a way, or just not understood. There's just a little bit lack of understanding or misunderstanding that can then be interpreted into something else. That's one thing that sort of misunderstanding. The other thing is I think about your brother who you looked up to, and now I think of you as a mom to a son. And any way you slice it, Nikki Washington, unfortunately, and I know it's also similar for young black women, and we know some of those cases, but black men especially have it tough. Do you remember anything that happened to Brandon where he was profiled inappropriately and it was kind of a scary situation? Do you remember anything like that at all? Yes, I do. I, of course, of course, I've had plenty of stories that immediately run through my mind. But again, I think it's most hurtful when it's a teammate or a family member or or a family member of a teammate making passive aggressive or microaggression racism, basically. I honestly don't like getting into the details just because in terms of like just telling stories for the sake of telling stories. But I mean, it's it's mostly just not being understood or uh, why don't you smile more like this person or why aren't you nice like this person or just a lack of understanding. You know, let's hope because of the progress we're making now where we're not letting the dialogue die and Mm. we just saw you know the nba in that bubble really do a lot we're seeing other sports leagues do a lot the nwsl is doing a lot mls usl specifically as it relates to soccer but hope can only go so far reality tells you since we were dealing with this in the 60s and then again with rodney king and here we go again with one two three four just I can't believe it keeps on going. My point is at some point, I feel like your young son, Oak, love that strong name. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have to have the talk of oh, yeah. aware of where you are, right? Absolutely. I mean, all the time, all the time. I mean, honestly, even yesterday for me, I'm living in an apartment complex here in Utah for the time being. And there was a cop. I, I was going to go get the car, pull up to get my wife and my son. So I went ahead and I was going to pull up and they were going to come down the stairs. I came out and there's a cop there. There's actually two cop cars and two cops because they were just, I don't know what they were doing actually. But immediately I go out and I like free, I'm like a lot of anxiety, I guess, just rushes through and you're like, what is going on? But I go get the car, come back and I know my son and my wife are coming down and I'm thinking, do I get out the car and tell them, hey, there's cops here, but we're good. But do I get out the car? So there's this moment of like, do I get out the car and what I feel like endanger myself or do I get out the car and make sure that they're not afraid when they see them? And so I decided to get out the car and just be like, hey, so just, I mean, it was nothing at the end of the day, but still it's those everyday little moments where you're just like gasping and taken aback a little bit or having to like think, do I get out the car? Do I not just to let my wife and my son in the car or, you know, so it's, I think it's those fears or those thought that weight that a lot of black people are walking around with constantly all the time, all the time. And so I I don't think you can 
measure that fear or that weight and the impact that that has. You can't measure it, but it's there always, always. Let's switch from fear to excitement. You're now an assistant coach for an NWSL team, as we touched on already. Talk about what that means, because I feel like the league is thriving. LA's coming in, Sacramento's coming in, Louisville's coming in. I wouldn't be surprised St. Louis, because the MLS team is owned by all women, if they'd be knocking at the door soon. Yeah. I feel like the league is thriving right now. What does it mean to be involved in this league as a top-level assistant coach? Oh, anytime you can climb the ranks, it's always exciting. And to be a former player in the NWSL becoming an assistant, just like Amy LaPelvet is the first NWSL player to then become a head coach. So, I mean, I think it's, it's awesome to be able to – it's full circle – and there's so much talent in the league that you can just impact the game so much, I think. But yeah, it's a really exciting time to be part of the NWSL. And you saw it, the Challenge Cup, the league is just continuing to, to get better and better. Backing up to your time at North Carolina, remind us the years you were there. I'm assuming you plucked at least one natty, maybe a couple. Remind us if uh, you got a couple of those as well during your time there and some of the big time players that you played with at North Carolina. Yeah, my class managed to get three out of four. So there's one year that we were pretty upset with ourselves. Yeah. We got a little cocky there with our, our sophomore year. We were like freshman year, we came in and we won it. And we were like, oh, that's all you got to do. And then we got knocked down and got our legs cut out from underneath us sophomore year. And then we're like, okay, lesson learned. And, and then we finished it out. So who were some of the other key players on those teams, Nikki, that you played with? Probably too many stars to remember, right? No, they're all friends. Our class, we had a special class for sure. So it was me, Tobin, Jess, Ash, Christy, Casey, Nagara, now Lloyd. Fling was a year younger than us. But we had a lot of them. But that was my class. Allie Hawkins, she's a huge player for us. Yael's older than us, but Yael's in there. Whitney Ingen, she's my class. I don't know how I could forget Whit. We had a lot. We had a lot of uh, big time players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some of them are still playing, and yeah. Nikki playing like they may play another five, six years. When you see them doing that, are you are you jealous at all? Would you love to be out there? Or are you good with where you are? Oh, I mean, first off, you're always gonna miss the game. So like seeing them out there is awesome. And I'm super happy with where I am. I love coaching. It's been fun to impact the game at all the different levels. I've coached club, college, and now the pros. And I think the thing that I've taken away from being a pro, I guess, myself, is as long as I'm in an environment where I can be competitive, which I think I can make any level competitive in my mind, it's just like a mental thing, then I, I'm having a blast. All right, I love it. You know, we've had Kia McNeil on. We had... Shaka Daly on. We had the new coach at Chicago State on, and still the numbers aren't where they need to be. I think yeah. for Division One college coaches for men's and women's, it might be 11 or something like that out of, you know, 200, 300 schools. Is it your ultimate goal to help increase that number and be a head coach, whether it's pro or college? Yeah, for me, it's always going to be about the journey is <laughs> cliche as that is and, and wherever I can surround myself around surround myself with positive people and, and just have a good time yeah I mean I, I would love to eventually become a head coach at any level if I've always said I'm not after the title if the head coach thing happens great if I'm an assistant then and I'm loving it and I have a great role within the team I'm happy there as well I always laugh because I think I'm like 
Amy Griffin is a genius. She's a genius. Like <laughs> she, you know, was associate head coach at UW for, I want to say 25, no, 24 years. Uh-oh, don't get mad at me, Amy. I don't remember. But she, yeah, she impacted, she had a huge impact and she got to work with her best friend for a long time. So yeah, it's more about enjoying what I'm doing more so than the title for sure. That is a great story to tie it together. Amy Allman Griffin, who people may not realize was part of that 91 World Cup team with your former coach, Anson Dorrance. And you're right, yeah. she settled right in. I mean, Bill Palladino is yeah. a pretty good example, right, of somebody that exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. did it for a very long time. Yeah. All right. Well, as you think about specifically young Black girls out there right now that are looking for a glimmer of inspiration, a glimmer of hope. What is your message to them if they wanted to pursue a career in soccer? Mm, wow. My message would be to, to go for it, obviously, and to latch onto the people that are going to support you, that it's okay to feel a little different. Don't change to be understood and just to be completely true to who you are. And eventually that's going to pay dividends and you're more than just an athlete. Truly. Well, with that, Nikki, take us inside your world. And let's say right now we had an opportunity to drop a microphone. Maybe you didn't even know it was there. And at the table, we had Jessica McDonald, Crystal Dunn, and Nikki Washington. Obviously, three women of color, three impactful women of color, three women that have strong voices, three women that are big time athletes. What would that conversation sound like right now, particularly with what we're dealing with? Honestly, I think it would be a lot of shorthand talk of just being like, girl, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, I don't think we would. It is the best feeling in the world to be finally sitting at a table where you don't have to feel like you have to explain yourself. So I think it would be less talking than we have to do because it's less explaining it's just so much more that's unsaid and that's understood so i think it would be like i know right I like that's usually what it feels like even when i was recruiting and there's like you said a handful of black coaches we would end up talking and honestly for me recruiting and sitting next to kia mcneil and talking with her for hours at different fields was always it was just life-giving to me. So I think it would feel a lot like that. It would be a lot of positive energy, a lot of understanding that makes you just feel like, like you belong and like, like you have a similar experience because that, that does not happen very often. So I think it would be a lot of fun. It would be amazing. A lot of, a lot of great energy. How do I say this, Nikki? When can we get to a day where it doesn't matter what you look like? Because it shouldn't matter what you look like. It's a hue color. It's a color of your skin. To be fair, it really makes no sense. Mm. Well, it does make sense to me, actually, because I think that day will come when a lot of people are going to have to freely give up their power. And throughout history, people don't freely hand over power. They don't freely hand over their influence. So I think when a system is set and made for a certain person and everyone's saying that system needs to be scrapped, people are going to hang on to it for dear life. 
and say, no, 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 no. So I, I think when the system changes completely, roots and all, then we'll see that. But when you look at it, it, makes, it does make sense, unfortunately. When you were around Anson Dorrance, did he ever talk to you about what it was like to be a black woman playing at his university? Or was he hopefully like me where it didn't matter? It was just about the person and the heart and the soul of who you are. Yeah, no, honestly, um, it, it wasn't talked about a lot. And whether that's positive intentions or not, I think hopefully, and this is what, what we're seeing now is that it needs to be talked about. Um, it needs to be recognized. We don't need color blindness. We need you to see us and to see our different circumstances and to see that we are experiencing different things than some of your other players and, and how that can impact us and impact our performance and impact our surroundings and impact our, our team chemistry. So I think I, I do actually urge coaches to see it, to see it, to acknowledge it. And I think that's a very, very important thing that coaches have to do. Um, and not just one-on-one, -on -one, but in team settings in a very educated way. And if you don't know how to do that responsibly, which I would actually argue most people don't know how to do that, they should be hiring people to help them with that. They should be hiring black people <laughs> to help them with that. And even better, they should be hiring black women to help them with that. But yes, being responsible in these conversations in a team setting is incredibly important for your black players. Since you did say that you're so proud of Tobin and J-Mac because yeah. they're still playing and you yeah. wouldn't mind doing it, I will say I hope 18 years from now I'm calling games. So here's my scenario. In 18 years in Chapel Hill, I want to be talking about young Oak scoring goals for the target. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in for that. We actually just moved back to Durham, North Carolina. Before we moved here, actually. That's a fun, funny story. We moved from Seattle to Durham, and we were there for literally 10 days, and uh, Amy LaPelbet rang me up, and I was like, okay, I'm there. <laughs> I'll be there. All right, awesome. Nikki Washington, an honor and a pleasure. Congratulations on being an assistant coach with Utah. Thanks so much for kicking off the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for having me, Dean. Nikki Washington, breaking it down, making us think making us think deep, right? Coming up next, Jill Ellis, who knows Nikki Washington well. In fact, she was excited to actually be following Nikki Washington, which is pretty cool. She's also excited to talk about the Jill Ellis Scholarship that is now being coordinated through U.S. Soccer and a great mentorship program as well. You are going to find it fascinating. Jill Ellis, back-to-back -back head coach of the U.S. World Cup championship team up next after this message registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. 
Just a couple of weeks ago, U.S. Soccer announced the details of the Jill Ellis Scholarship Fund and the launch of the She Champions mentorship program, both of which will benefit, empower, and advance female coaches through financial support, mentorship, and community building. The Jill Ellis Scholarship Fund and She Champions Mentorship Program will combine to assist U.S. soccer in achieving its goals of doubling the number of elite professional female coaches in the fall of 2019, as the USA was coming off its historic win at the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup, and Jill Ellis was nearing the end of her almost six-year tenure as the head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors voted to establish the Jill Ellis Scholarship Fund, a unique endowment to support, honor, and celebrate her extraordinary legacy. In line with Ellis's demonstrated passion for membership, the U.S. Soccer Coaching Education Department has developed a complimentary mentorship program for professional female coaches that follows the same themes as the She Believes movement, which was established in the lead up to the 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup by the U.S. players and U.S. soccer to encourage young women and girls to reach their dreams, athletic or otherwise. It's my great honor. I've known Jill since her days at UCLA calling games in Westwood. She's always available for United Soccer Coaches. Jill, thanks for being with me. My pleasure. Yes, uh, it's great to, great to reconnect with you and see you, and I'm delighted to, to be here, especially at this exciting time. Well, this is an exciting time, Jill. You've done a lot of great things, but when you're able to put your name on a scholarship fund, that's got to move you in a big way. Yeah, I mean, and people that know me well, to be clear, they don't want my name on it, not particularly, but, but that was their choice, so fair enough. Yes, I was incredibly touched by that, but I think it's a vehicle, you know, regardless of the name on it, it's a vehicle, and that's what I'm kind of metaphorically trying to do now is to put some gasoline in it and, um, you know, trying to, uh, to get out there, not just raise money. We've had some f fantastic donors step up and support the program. But more importantly, as we, as the name predicts, is champion women getting into coaching or staying in coaching. So really excited about the possibilities we're doing. Now, Jill, through the She Champions Mentorship Program, U.S. Soccer will facilitate a mentorship opportunity for each female pro and A licensed candidate. It's so important for these young women that want to get into coaching to have a mentor. And when it can be a female mentor, I think it's even better. Well, no, no doubt. I mean, outside, you know, the scholarship is one component of this, and that's trying to obviously support and supplement the financial demand on, on pursuing your licenses. But this part of it is really, really special to me because, yes, yeah, still, you know, the genesis of this was so many, so many times I'm asked, where are the women coaches? Why are the numbers declining? And, and the reality is, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that. So how can we, how can we change that? And if we, we did, and we polled a lot of coaches, but even, even my travels, and you know this, talking to, because you cover a lot of different sports, talking to women in other sports, we all have a very similar story. It's, you know, there's very few of you, and there's not a natural network that's established. Oftentimes, you're competing for, you know, the, the same position. And so this, this idea was kind of born out of, I, I did the FIFO mentoring program last year. And uh, it was probably one of the most important, rewarding experiences of my career. And, and so I was assigned a mentee, uh, Monica Vergara from uh, Mexico, under 20 to coach. And we spent a year together in terms of communicating, uh, going down and watching her work, opening up uh, you know, our, our options here. And at the end of it, we, not only did we form a great friendship, but I, you know, I truly felt like she now has an ally. And, and, and that was just 
the power of that is really what we wanted to sort of project into this mentoring program, meaning women are now going to have some of the most incredible coaches we have in the game here now as mentors, but people that will either create opportunities, open doors, advise. That's the stuff you don't pick up, right, in a, in a textbook or on a video. It's, it's the experience piece. So I think that's going to be a really special component of this and, and, a, and a component we want to grow all the way into the C-license courses as well. How about the timing when you think about right now the climate in our country as you think about equality and opportunity and even respect and love? I like the timing of this announcement. Yeah, very much. You know, and it's kind of riding that crest, right? We, you know, they've had the Time's Up movement and the women, you know, last summer, the, the power of that experience. It is. It's a time for women to lift up other women. And this is a way of, you know, trying to do that. Or more importantly, not just lift them up, but provide a framework to keep them up, right? In terms of now they're going to have people around them that have either walked a similar path or, or had the same experiences. You know, part of doing the FIFA mentoring program, it enabled me to get very close to the other coaches. The French coach Corinne, Serena in, in Holland, we also formed a bond in that experience. And that allowed you know us to have essentially a group of people that are experiencing the same thing. And that's incredibly powerful when you have that connection with people and you have that just ability to bounce ideas off and talk things through and, and learn from, from each other. A little more data on this exciting announcement every year, the Jill Ellis Scholarship Program will provide 50% of the tuition, which includes in-person meetings, accommodations, and meals, instructor time, and materials for female pro A and B licensed candidates. It is projected that 15 women will pursue their A and 30 will pursue their B in year one. In year two, the mentorship program will also be extended to B licensed candidates. And Jill, you can't do it on your own. The mentors who will provide hands-on support to accompany the financial aid will feature some of the most accomplished coaches of women's soccer in the United States. Along with you, the list of mentors includes Laura Harvey, Leslie Gallimore, Lauren Gregg, and even Anson Dorrance is helping out. That's an impressive list. Yes, it, first of all, their response. I mean, we actually probably contacted over 30 coaches because as we grow this program, we're gonna need more coaches to, to serve as mentors. And Carla Thompson, who is within the coaching education branch of U.S. soccer, has been instrumental in this. You know, she's been a huge proponent, reaching out, contacting these coaches. And she would call me and she'd be so excited. She'd go, oh, we got another yes. And they were so excited. And people genuinely got really pumped about this because they recognized the need for it. So we, we were really targeting coaches that have not just had success within the, the realm of, of women's soccer and, and from every level, whether it's club or college or international, but also coaches that are prepared to champion women and women coaches. And so we've got a phenomenal who's who in that group you know you're going to be speaking to erica i think erica donbach shortly uh, she's you know a part of it april heinrichs is a part of it you know matt potter we, we've we've got a great list of, of coaches that are, are really committed to this and we're genuinely excited i've already had several several zoom calls with my with my candidate my mentee and um it's been great it's fantastic Energizing. It is energizing indeed. And also on this program, by the way, Jill, is Nikki Washington, who is just the second woman of color to be an assistant coach in the NWSL. How does that make you feel? 
Oh, it's, I mean, it's phenomenal, right? I mean, that was a big part. So Carla Thompson, who her and I are pretty similar in age, you know, and that was a big part of hers. It's not only do we want to have her and I talked about, it, it's not only want more women, we want more women of color. And so, you know, her, um, even when we were out looking for coaches to be a part of this, we wanted to make sure that it was representation. And so to have Nikki at that point is, is tremendous. And, you know, you just want these these people to pave the way for others, right? That's what we want. We want more female coaches, more women of color, and that whole concept of if you can see it, you can be it. So um, I'm delighted. And I've known Nikki since she was a, a youth player and, and just one of the greatest human beings on the planet. So I'm delighted for her. Indeed. I'm going to read these five bullet point goals for the Jill Ellis Scholarship Fund and She Champions Mentorship Program. And after I read them, I kind of just want your overall thoughts on, on what they mean. Here are the five points. Eroding financial barriers for women participating in higher coaching education. Creating meaningful support, advocates, and resources for individual female coaching candidates through their mentorship program. Developing a community of professional female coaches, showcasing examples of top quality female coaches as models for other women by promoting the program. And finally, Jill, elevating important conversations about diversity in the soccer community by promoting the programs. All of that together in a nice little bowl of soup, what does it mean to you? Well, part of me wants to say, gosh, it's about time, you know, because I think that this is this is a response to, in truth, the needle not moving very much. That's my, my initial response. But overall, the program and what we're trying to do is, you know, again, I, I, you naturally reflect on your own journey and you think of the times where there's been very so few of us out there and this sense of strengthening the community. And I think that's a that's a big part of society right now we want people to heal we want people to come together we want to feel the strength it's no different than when you step on the field you want to know that people have your back and that you're in it together and so i think what we're trying to create here is is a network of where a young female coach can call and ask for advice of someone who's lived it walked it experienced it and and feel that they are not just empowered by this connection but also um, supported in in the tough decisions. I mean, I say this to all the time. The coaches getting into getting into uh, coaching. I, the young coaches. I'm always like, it is a roller coaster ride. So put your seatbelt on and enjoy it because there's ups and downs. And so, if we can look at some of these things that are chipping away at the participation of women being on the sideline, then I think that um, you know, I mean, again, I'm I'm incredibly excited about this program and and looking forward to seeing it grow and expand. Two more questions for Jill Ellis. We're delighted to be with the coach of the back-to-back -back World Cup champion U.S. team. This incredible scholarship and mentorship program is done through U.S. soccer. However, you've always had time for United soccer coaches. I got to believe you'll continue to have time for United soccer coaches. Why has that association been so important to you, Jill Ellis? It honestly ties directly to what we're speaking about. It's a community and it's a community that supports other coaches and you know whether it's trying to build networks to find career paths or, or just again to get support. I think the United Soccer Coaches has been a, has been a program that's embraced everybody and has really tried to provide a lot of resources. So for me on a personal level, way back to when it had a different name, you know it's been an environment where you felt welcomed and 
the other part is also it's an educational program. I mean, the it's not just a support network. It's a, it's a network to help people grow and evolve. And I mean, gosh, that's fundamental to, I think, us as coaches. We want to continue to, to get better. Finally, I have to ask the question that I'm sure that you've heard, but maybe don't like answering. I got to tell you, Jill, you look fantastic. That means Miami life you're enjoying. You're enjoying life with your partner, with your beautiful daughter. But when, how, maybe could we see you back on a sideline someday? Um, I, well, I definitely wouldn't rule it out because, you know, I think it's it's just such a, you know, it, I, I've loved coaching, you know, I love it. And, um, you know, I was just thinking back to my, I'm actually my, um, at UCLA, they're going to have a, like an alumni reunion at, by class. And I'm just so genuinely excited because really you go into the coaching because it's the people, right? And it's the connection. So yeah, when, I'm not sure when, when, when it's a great opportunity and, and it feels right. I mean, I will say that this time, as much as it's been incredibly challenging on, uh, you know, on us as a community, meaning the, the, the people in this country and around the world dealing with the pandemic, it's also been an opportunity to pause and center and get energy. So I think I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, fi I'm fired up to figure out what the next challenge is. I'll let you know, Dean, I'll be on your podcast first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll remember that for sure, Jill. Right. Yeah. Let's close with words of inspiration, particularly for young girls during this pandemic. I feel so bad for like juniors that wanna get spotted, seniors that don't get to play, I mean, even fifth graders that, I mean, this pandemic is just the worst. People look up to you, Jill. What's your message to these young female soccer players? You know, we talk about dealing with things. I mean, I, I think if, 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 again, I relate it to the game, some of the, probably the toughest games, the most challenging matches, even some, some that we've lost, some that have really tested us, those have actually been the springboard to to strengthening to growth to to greater things so you know it's like i said my daughter i've got a 15 year old that's doing online learning it's this experience uh as hard as it is it is going to there's going to be a strengthening of their souls and of their mindset i i think on the back side of this you know i, I think the the reality when we talk about you know day-to-day -day life is all about interaction and so now we're kind of more secluded or isolated and that duality doesn't exist you know the conversation the question the answering so i think it's important also to make sure people seek that out that that uh, whether it's getting on a, a zoom call with friends whether it's you know my daughter she she tries to arrange certain things uh, video night through through the computer etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that's important too is we can't be passive We've got to take action. I think that's what I would say to young people is, yes, it's a tough circumstance, but how can we somehow improve this or take the positive that can serve us down the line? U.S. Soccer announces the Jill Ellis Scholarship Fund and the She Champions Mentorship Program to support women in coaching. And we get to talk about it with Jill Ellis right here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Jill Ellis, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, and keep doing the great work, Dean. Spreading the word, I love it. Appreciate it. We'll have more after this message. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. It has indeed been a pleasure, been an honor to spend the last five weeks with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group as part of Heritage Month. Five amazing guests, and we cap it off with Eloisa Borrello. We'll get to know her really well. She's the head coach for the San Diego team at WPSL. She also works for Albion, one of the top clubs down there in Southern California, way down there in Southern California. And I'll tell you what, Julio Serrano says she's the bomb. That means she's the bomb. Eloisa, welcome to our final episode of this exciting Heritage Month series. Thank you so much, Dean. I'm very excited to be here with you guys and have a good chat and get to know more about each other. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, when Julio Serrano says you're the bomb, I think he's the bomb, by the way. I think I think he's a guy that lights up a room. Every time I even hear his name, I smile. So that's a big compliment from somebody who really is the bomb, right? Yeah, I mean, Julio, I have just really good words about him to describe him. Big person, not only in Illinois, that's where I met him, but all uh, across the United States. He's doing an amazing job with the Latino group, and and he's making us be part of it and be involved, advocate for the community, and just collaborate with each other. So I'm very proud. I'm very happy to get to know Julio more, work with him, and be part of all the progress that he's doing for this community. All right, Eloisa, because it. Heritage Month, and I have a major case of gringo-itis. Let's start from the beginning. Let's hear you say your name absolutely correctly, and then after you say your name absolutely correctly, tell us where you were born, your past, and how you ended up in San Diego. My name, like in Spain, would be Eloisa Borreguero. I was born in Madrid, Spain. I made my way all the way to the United States in 2011. And the reason was to learn English. I had no idea how to speak. I didn't understand it very well. I was very bad in a school with English. It was really like biggest struggle growing up. So when I was 23, I was in the university and I'm like, I just need to learn English. I was playing, I was coaching, I was in a school, but I decided to say, well, you know, I need to be in the environment because if I go to an school just a couple hours a week to learn English, I'm not going to learn it. So I spoke with my family, and, and I told them, I think I need to put myself in an environment where I'm going to breathe, speak, listen English all the time. So in six months, I can come back and continue my life that I left. But you know what, Dean? I never came back in <laughs> nine years. Well, tell us everything you've done since being in the United States, uh, where you landed first, and then how you got to San Diego. Don't leave anything out, Eloisa. I went to New York first, north of Manhattan, Westchester County. I was a nanny. I didn't do any soccer for six months until I realized how huge women's soccer was in this country. I didn't know before. Maybe because I didn't expose myself to that. I knew about the national team. But what I experienced in New York, taking the girls that I used to take care of to soccer practice, I realized, like, wow, this is huge. Like, I want to be part of this. So my English was a little bit better, but I decided to finish my education here in the States 
So I started looking for some universities, and that's how I end up in Chicago. I found a small Christian university outside Chicago. It's Judson University. The head coach is Diego Ceballos, and it was perfect because I couldn't speak English that much. So it was good to reach out to him and communicate in Spanish my needs, what I was looking for, and that I wanted to play soccer and finish my education. I studied even harder so I could pass all the exams to be able to access to the school. So I spent one year in New York, and then I was good to go for Chicago, and that's how I spent seven years there. I, I went to school, I played, I was a goalkeeper, graduated, I ended up doing four years because I say, why am I going to transfer when I can just study for four years and spend more time in this beautiful country, learn more English, practice it, and, and play? So that's what I did. When I went to the university, I started coaching for a club, started coaching from Drek for the little kids, and again, it was funny because they helped me practice my English even more. So that was a big year for me in relation to understand the culture, expose myself to coaching education as I was taking the e-license, play, understand a whole different world of soccer that I didn't know coming from Spain. So I was there for seven years. I ended up here in San Diego. I came last year to work for the DA for Albion and take over the WPSL program, which was a, a new program for the club. And, and I was very excited to, to be the one starting the women's team. What a great path. You know, I've got a place in Chicago. I spent a lot of time there with the Big Ten Network. Great city. New York, a great city. But are you kidding me? San Diego, that's clean living, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very different. When I look back and I'm like, New York, Chicago, San Diego, it's the paradise. Now I understand all my American friends when they say, wow, San Diego, you're going to the paradise of the United States. And I think it is. Well, I love that you're coaching young women. We certainly are in a time in our country where we're searching for equality or searching for opportunity, whether that's of color or whether that's of gender. You've got a chance now to impact these young women, perhaps the way somebody impacted you. How does that make mm -hmm. you feel? It's a great responsibility for me, and I try to look at it in a holistic way because like you say, we are in a time of change, of development, of evolve, and I've never seen myself as minority or weird because growing up in Spain, there wasn't enough women. So to me, it was the normal, right? And growing up with those beliefs and growing up with those expectations, I think it put me in a position to fight harder and work harder to make them understand, yeah, I mean, there are opportunities and we need to keep going and we need to keep accomplishing what we want in life. So I was very lucky that when I started playing for Atletico de Madrid, my coaches were women, the technical director was a woman, and the president was a woman. So I remember going back home and saying, Mom, I want to be a president of a club. I want to have my own club. I want to be a coach. So it helped me, even though I was only the only girl, like, Outside the coaching environment, it was the only one always. It helped me understand that I can be like them. So when I come to this country and I see that there is not many women in club soccer in youth, that was shocking because, I mean, if we look up the national team and we look how successful they are, you think that there should be more women out there. So, yeah, I mean, it's a huge responsibility. I love it. I look at everything, all of my players, and I challenge them, like, are you going to be a coach? How are you going to be involved in the game? That's what I love the most about soccer, like being able to transmit or inspire or make an impact in, in the life of these young women.
Well, I like that you mentioned how great the U.S. women's national team is, coming from somebody who admired Atletico Madrid, even played with Atletico Madrid. What is it about the USA that makes our women's team so dominant as back-to-back World Cup champions? The idea of them taking the profession professionally is what makes a difference. Like here, from outside, I see that they have the facilities, they have the resources, there are support from coaches, medical teams, psychologists, like all this big landscape of support that allows them to feel professional, to feel supported, to feel loved. And I think that's what makes them very successful. Uh, now we see other countries, other federations that they start investing on their programs, on the women's team. And that's what probably the last World Cup, we see a, a huge increase on, on the quality and the professionalism of other federations because I think U.S. took it to the next level and everybody should be looking up to that and, and match up with the expectations of what being a professional soccer team and, and federation should look like. You know what's interesting, though, is you look at the dominance of the U.S. team. In fact, Jill Ellis is also going to be on this podcast. She comes right before you, believe it or not, the coach mm-hmm. of the back-to-back World Cup champions. As opposed to the men's team, where over the years you saw a Hugo Perez or a Tab Ramos or a Claudio Reina, now even more, on the women's side, you don't see – I can't think of any Hispanic players, although there's one now from Stanford that just got her citizenship that could change the game. But how do you explain that? What's the deal with that? That's a very good question. To me, that is an ongoing conversation with coaches from different ethnicities and different cultures. I think just the way we come from is shape us to believe certain things, right? So... Now that I'm in San Diego and I'm closer to Mexico and we have a lot of families coming from Mexico or sometimes they live there and they cross the border to play with us, I see a player, let's say 14 years old, and I think, wow, like, she can play in a high level. Like, let's go, let's do it. Talk to the player, the player is excited, player wants more, talk to the parents, and academics is more important. No, they need to study because they need a good job and they need to work and they need money because... We come from, we're immigrants and we've worked really hard. So we're talking here about how personal experience are shaping the way we believe and the way we want to move forward. When I challenge myself first, it's like first accepting that people think that way. I come from a family where they have food stores, they work very hard, and I decided to say, you know what, I want to take it to the next step. And my parents supported. They were afraid that I was coming to a different continent. They were afraid that it was, you know, I was pursuing soccer, but they were open-minded enough to believe that this is a possibility. So when I talk to families, I always question them. Their beliefs are like, why don't you play soccer? Uh, well, the daughter plays soccer. They can get a full ride. They can really work really, really, really hard. So then they can go to school. They can get the education. Maybe um, they don't need to pay for anything because, you know, they work so hard that a lot of the schools want them, and they're giving them food rights. And then maybe they got drafted for the professional team, right? But I think it's more of a questioning the way we look at soccer as a profession and, and what it takes to, to, to take it to the next level. Eloisa, speaking of women making a difference, I am so excited about the lineup for today's show. Let me just 
break it down for you. We kick off with Nikki Washington, just the second ever woman of color to be a coach on an NWSL team following Brianna Scurry. Then we go to Jill Ellis, who was the head coach of the last two USA World Cup championship teams. We have our wonderful visit with you, which I am really enjoying. And then we finish with Erica Dombach, the incredible head coach at Penn State who won a national championship in 2015 and who could easily be the next coach of the U.S. team. Talk about women of power, women of influence. What a lineup. How does it make you feel to be part of that lineup, part of this show? Well, it's a privilege to be, you know, in the same position as these group women that with all this accomplishment and everything that they've done for the country. So it's just a privilege. And then finally, it is Heritage Month. You're wrapping up, and they all were great, although I can say I feel like we saved the best for last for perhaps <laughs> the biggest reason. My wife of 26 years was born in Madrid, Spain, lived there for the first three years, and I think she wouldn't mind maybe retiring over in Madrid, Spain, and you were born in Madrid, Spain, so Eloisa, I'll always have fondness for you because of that for sure, but when you think about heritage, what does it mean to you? For me, I'm coming from Spain, right, and Columbus Day today, so it just, it's a broader picture of where we're coming from. Spain is a very small country with a lot of history. Thanks to history, we build a beautiful culture of Hispanic population that each country in Mexico and South America, we have very, very different culture, but at the same time, Spanish, the language, is bringing us together. So that's what I think of Heritage Month, like how the world is so big, so many different cultures within each country, but still, thanks to the Spanish language, we can come together and share traditions, beliefs, religion, uh, social things. So, and most importantly, soccer. Like we all love soccer. It's the biggest sport. We can watch it all the time, and it's a family, cultural. I would say even sometimes political drive. So that's how big soccer is in the Hispanic community. When you think about the United soccer coaches and then the Latino soccer coaches, advocacy group, and the great Julio Serrano, what are your thoughts about the United soccer coaches? Oh, my God. It's it's an organization. To me, when I first came, I'm like, I, I want to be involved in that because that's what we have in common. We don't need to be looking at what's different from each other, but what we have in common is soccer and how we can reach farther to the community, even though maybe I can't get there, but if somebody else that is involved in this organization can, that's a win-win for everybody. So that's how I see United Soccer Organization and then the Latino group bringing that value and bringing that extra layer of support so everybody that is involved in this community is able to access, to understand, and to better provide information and coaching to ultimately better soccer in the United States. All right. As we end our interview, let's make ASC San Diego proud. Let's make the Albion Soccer Club proud. Say your name, your full Spanish name, as clear as possible so we get it right. We saw my two last names and my middle name or the one that Everything. I could buy. I, I want all of it. I want all, all of it. All of it? All right. Get ready. <laughs> Eloisa 
Paloma Borreguero Durán. Oh, my. I got to tell you, as somebody that's married to a woman that was born in Spain and grew up in Brazil, I love hearing that, Eloisa. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. All right, the hits keep coming. Erica Dombach, the head coach at Penn State, your 2015 national champion, Rocky Rodriguez, best player on that team, best player in the country, both of them. Join us. It's Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10 to wrap up the show after this message. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome to Big Ten in 10, a look at every Big Ten women's soccer team, every coach, and one distinguished alumni. And today, we are talking about the Penn State Nittany Lions women's soccer team. Hello, everybody. I'm Dean Linke, along with my broadcast partner, former Illinois All-Big Tenner, Jackie Maddie. And Jackie, today we talk Penn State with Erica Dombach and Rocky Rodriguez. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Erica, we're going to start with you. You've had a lot of great players. So when we reached out to you, you're like, man, this is going to be fun. So, so many choices, but you went right to Rocky Rodriguez. Tell us why. Well, like you said, there are so many great choices and um, Rocky was certainly one of the ones that popped in my head, but you can think through all of these players that have come through this Penn State program well before our staff arrived and since our staff's been here. But uh, Rocky, obviously, um, she's done so well in the collegiate game and then was the rookie of the year in the NWSL, a big star for Costa Rica, and most importantly, one of the best human beings. Just don't tell her that. <laughs> Coach, I've always been a fan of the mental side of the game. I just find it really fascinating. I know how important it is to your program at Penn State. What are some of the things that you do for your players that are solely focused on the sports psychology part of the game? Well, first off, there's a position called the director of operations that I think all of these programs have in all sports. And we've chosen to use ours to bring in an expert to help us with the mental side of, of the game. Her name's Kara Lowry. And Kara's been with us for eight years. Rocky will smile when she hears her name because everybody knows the impact that Kara has on our program. But Kara's job is to help facilitate the mental side to, to the growth and development to use the experts on our campus, such as Carl Olson, our sports psychologist, connect these athletes to alums, to any resources we have. But that's where Kara has been so important. And I give her all the credit because she basically just tells me what to say and where to go and how to do it. But she's certainly the brains behind it all and a huge huge reason for the success of our program. Rocky, I'm sure you did smile when you heard Carol's name, but I'm thinking that you also smiled when Erica reached out to you because you were part of so many big moments at Penn State, including knocking off Duke in the national championship game and winning the player of the year as well. What has Penn State meant to you in your development, Rocky? I don't think I will ever be able to put into words what Penn State meant to me, but it was life-changing. And it was not only a dream come true to me, which I always say that, but I think I can't imagine going to a different school with a different program. Like you said, the development that I had as a soccer player was one that I most definitely needed and Penn State provided for me, but also I think it was the perfect program for me because 
and I'm not just saying this because coach is right here, but I, I do think that it's an approach that takes into consideration the, the athlete as a whole, you know, and like a, as a human being and human beings are very complex. So I not only had my ups and downs, but towards the end, it was really, really cool just to look back and see how it was all not only worth it, just to see the progress and just the relationships that we were able to build with teammates and, and coaches and just the Pensic community. So best memories that I have in my soccer career, of course. Like, I mean, yes, the last year, but the Penn State chapter in my life is very special. Kind of bring us back to that 2015 season. It takes an incredible grind, obviously, to win a championship. What made that team special enough to win? I, I don't know. Like, when I look back, I think a huge part of the success of the team was how we were so unified. And I think that the culture that coach was trying to build from years before, and I don't want to say things that put words in, in her mouth that she's not saying, but I, I truly think that coach, I remember she was purposeful on that. And I think that it paid off that year. But not only we had an amazing culture, but we had a lot of talent. And I think that combination is so powerful. And yes, again, we had like our challenges and when we weren't performing, you know, there's always coach just saying it's not good enough and keeping us honest. So I think that combination of accountability and talent, but also work ethic was really cool that it brought the success, I think, in the end. Erica, part of being at Penn State is, yeah, definitely winning Big Ten titles and trying to win national championships. But the bigger part is building great young women, building character, and then watching them grow after they leave. And in a lot of cases, that means players playing for the U.S. national team. I'm hoping you're going to tell me, and you even were with the U.S. national team for a long time, that you were just as excited when Rocky Rodriguez made massive news, scoring the first ever goal in a World Cup for Costa Rica. That is just amazing. Well, the moment that that happened is a moment that will stay in my mind forever, running around. I was the one that bought the Rodriguez jersey right before <laughs> they switched sponsors, so I, I, I actually didn't have the perfect jersey picture on. Um, but part of our staff, Ann and Kara, had gone up to see her, and there were others in the stands, and to say we were proud. I mean, we were, we were proud parents, and we were proud friends, and and um, it, was, it was a big moment just experiencing it with her. She's made us proud on so many occasions, but obviously that was on the biggest stage. This one can maybe go to both of you guys, but when I was at Illinois, I remember Penn State just being our rival all the time. And then I remember talking to Penn State players later in my career and then being like, yeah, everybody kind of thinks we're their rival. What is it like to kind of always have that target on your back and always get teams best games? Yeah, that's true. I was going to say in the Big Ten, especially, I'm sure that the team to beat is the one that's always winning and everyone hates that team, you know, and that's just how it is. But I love that, you know, and I think that it makes the game more interesting. But I think it was great the fact that we would deal with that. Like, it was a pressure, you know, like if you're number one, you want to stay there and that's not easy. But I think it was great because it was like the regular season. So it gave us like, it was like a training not, I don't want to say training because it was still really hard, but it was, in some level, we were able to learn how to manage the stress and then slowly, like, build. Like, our, our performance was able to grow from there. So I think, like I said, I love the rivalries. And, and honestly, every team was just tough. It was so physical. I remember the Big Ten forever will be the, one of the most physical games <laughs> I've ever played. Also, under 
rough conditions like climate conditions i that's a little insane but like all of that it just makes you suffer and makes you you have to to bring out the grit and and again i think that that just prepares you for like the latter part of the season hopefully you make it to the ncaa and then like yeah it just gives you i feel like a foundation to keep building and and deal with the pressure and like get it done <laughs> <laughs> and for me i think looking at that 2015 season in particular i think in the 60th minute against duke in the national championship game is where our experience in the big 10 really kicked us into the next year i think there was a lot of skill on that there's a lot of talent on the field in that national championship game but what we learned playing against our big 10 opponents when they would be physical knock us down put a target on our back that really came out in those last 30 minutes of that game when we had to dig deeper, when we had to rely on our blue collar mentality. And that mentality is developed through the Big Ten season and I wouldn't trade it for anything. We're at a point, this conference has become so strong that every team on the schedule can beat you. You've got to show up for every game or you're dropping points at this at this point. Final minute here for Big Ten in 10. We'll go to you, Erica, first. You're now firmly, you've got your roots down. You've got your two beautiful girls there as well. Your family is there. To you in one sentence, Penn State means what, Erica? It means family. You you, you nailed it. It's uh, my own family and blood, but these student athletes, Rocky and the players that came before, when this season ended, I could think about the 14 years before and those players before because it hurt them as much as it hurt the current student athletes and the number i heard heard from um, only reflected their love for this program and we're going to rattle them off again she was the player of the year she was a national champion she scored a goal for costa rica in the world cup she was the nwsl rookie of the year and i'm sure she's going to win nwsl titles but after all of that in one sentence penn state means what to you rocky rodriguez it means special that's just a word that i can come like it's it's family too i guess you know like it's it's i can't put it in one word is that okay <laughs> a special family I love that. a special place let's put it a special place in my heart i love that erica you gotta tell the story real quick as, our, as we go to our 10 minutes here about when you knew Rocky was a special player because it was pretty early days upon her arriving. Yeah, so we were talking about this before the call. We were in preseason, Rocky had arrived and obviously it took some time for her to adjust a little bit. And we were probably a week and a half into her freshman year of preseason. And we split the group up and we played in an 11 aside game. And the players are out there, they're working hard and we're probably 15 minutes into this game. And, and Rocky looks up, she's about 40 yards from goal. She looks up and she catches the goalkeeper out of the corner of her eye off, off her line a couple yards. And she just, in only, only the way Rocky can do it, just a little dink over the goalkeeper. And at that moment, our staff kind of looked, you know, she had been good up to that point, but that was the moment of, this is really different. There is something different and really special and let's try not to mess this up. Let's see what we can, let's see what we can do here. Love that story. I love Penn State women's soccer. Anybody who loves women's soccer loves Penn State women's soccer. For Erica and Rocky and Jackie, I'm Dean Linky. This has been Big Ten in 10. And this has been a big time show. Are you kidding me? Nikki Washington, Jill Ellis, your back-to-back World Cup champion coach for the USA, now has this scholarship, an amazing mentorship program. So great to break that down. Eloisa Borriega, 
part of the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Heritage Month. And we end with Erica Dombach and Rocky Rodriguez. Female power at the highest level. What a show. I hope you enjoyed it. Certainly want to thank Colin Thrash for his great editing. And also Sean Chevrolet and Mike Knipper and each and every one of you. I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.